Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Hunter. Hey, Erica. So what are we talking about on this week's full-length episode? So on this week's episode, we are going to be talking about free trade. So essentially, we're going to be talking about how this relates to America with free trade, more so than the rest of our overseas free trade. Um, I mean, granted, Hunter, free trade with the U.S. has to deal with other countries, but we're not going to be talking about like the EU or anything like that. We can save that for another episode. Why should our listeners care about free trade? So our listeners should care about free trade because it does directly impact them. It's going to save you money. It's going to be getting you different jobs. It's going to be getting you into different markets where normally the economy wouldn't necessarily be able to go as easily. So free trade is a pretty important thing. And it's a pretty big deal, especially when you're signing these different agreements. I agree 100%. And we actually just got a new free trade agreement. Yes. So the U.S. has shifted from NAFTA to the USMCA. So what was previously known as NAFTA, which was the North American Free Trade Agreement, is now known as the USMCA, which stands for U.S., Mexico, and Canada. I got to admit, I really liked the name NAFTA. Yes, I I know. (laughs) Rebrandings. They rebranded it. I'm not a fan. They rebranded it because it, I mean, essentially it is NAFTA. It's like a NAFTA like 2.0, but the USMCA, it has a bit more favorable terms to the U.S. Where before NAFTA, while it still benefited the U.S., it definitely had some lacking provisions for the U.S. So this is a bit more beneficial to us. Classic. We love that. All about America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was part of Donald Trump's big restructuring of getting us better deals. We want to have, we want to have the best deals not just a regular deal, because apparently that's just not good enough. So you need well, to have you know, the best deals, about, the biggest deals. I'm always about a good deal. You know, me and my coupons, I always have my <laughs> Target app with a cartwheel app to pull up some coupons. But, you know, I will say I do agree with some of these better deals. For instance, in the auto manufacturing boost, NAFTA required only 62.5% of vehicles, parts be made in one of the three countries. But the United States, Mexico, Canada upped it to 75%, and it requires more parts to be made by workers earning at least 16 an hour, which we love people making above minimum wage in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it helps American workers and wages be more competitive with Mexico, where, you know, you can pay auto workers less money than you traditionally would be paying an auto worker within the U.S., and so this now makes it more competitive between these workforces. So it's not like the huge disconnect of where you're going to see, you know, somebody being paid $15 in manufacturing in the U.S. and then people are getting paid maybe 25 cents in a developing country or something for the day. So it's, it makes it a little bit more competitive between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Well, this will also help project growth of new jobs in the United States. Yes. Yeah. They were projecting, I think it was around 7% that was going to be for new um, auto jobs for for growth within the automotive manufacturing sector. And it'll strengthen our labor laws. We just talked about the t-shirt machine situation. I don't remember the official title, but we just talked about that happening and in our public safety, keep it brief. And that strengthened a lot of our labor laws and helped bring a lot of important reforms. So it's always Mm -hmm. great to see that 
Our labor yeah, laws so are strengthened by allowing for rapid response panels to review whether or not there are labor violations of workers' rights in specific facilities that are then able to be levied duties or penalties on products made there. Yeah, and I mean, that's super great because this impacts not only the U.S.'s labor laws, this also impacts Canada's and Mexico's labor laws as well. So you're going to be able to see a lot more of an improvement within these different factories just because there are going to be these new rapid response panels where NAFTA didn't have these. And so now within the USMCA, there are going to be these rapid response panels to review these. So it's going to be taking labor laws a bit more seriously and they're going to be a bit more expedited. Um, unlike under NAFTA, it wasn't as fast of a process. It was a bit harder to go and have these response panels. Um, so it's a, it's a whole lot. It, labor laws are improving under USMCA versus NAFTA. Yeah, and I forgot to mention the source for this, but we got this from CNN Politics of uh, December 2019 from Katie Lobesco, Brian Fung, and Tammy Lobby. But one thing that I really noticed that I was happy to hear was the environmental protections established by the USMCA, which makes regulations easier to enforce by eliminating a requirement that made it so that you had to prove that a violation impacts trade. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this definitely helps out environmental protections a lot. You don't have to prove that this new environmental um, disaster violated or this new environmental violation it didn't impact trade, even if there is something out there, such as a big oil spill in the Gulf or something, you can go and have this of where now you need to enforce this. Yeah. And it's providing a little bit of controversy for big pharma because the biologic drugs part of the new USMCA, it removes a provision, oh my God, hold on. It removes a provision that would have required the three countries to provide at least 10 years of exclusivity for biologics. And, you know, I guess yeah, Big Pharma so wasn't a big fan of that. It angered Big Pharma. Um, Democrats really liked it. However, Republicans were not a giant fan of this removal of this provision. Republicans really thought that it was important for having the exclusivity for biologics, but Democrats thought that it would be better for regulating drug prices and also just not gatekeeping these extremely important biologic drugs um, from other places. So that was one of the big things that, you know, it was that was the biggest part that was real controversial within. Absolutely. Sharing is caring, always. You would think, yes. There is one part that kind of made me side eye a bit, but maybe that's just because I'm a little bit, I don't know how to say it, um, suspicious, but uh, the digital update to the USMCA prohibits Canada and Mexico from forcing US companies to store their data on in-country servers. Mm -hmm. So we know we love the CIA and the FBI, what are they hiding? So, well, essentially what this was, but it was a prohibition on local data storage requirements when a financial regulator has access to the data it needs to fulfill its regulatory and supervisory mandate. So essentially, if the company that you are trying to regulate, say that, say Mexico is trying to regulate this company and they're like, well, we don't have, we don't have your servers here. So we just have no idea, but you're getting all the information that you need from the company and you don't actually need any more information then it prohibits them from saying, okay, well, you have to store these servers here because the company is already offering it up. If it was a US company, then Mexico was trying to enforce this. So as long as the companies and these different institutions are 
fulfilling their requirements to their financial regulators, then it does prohibit this local data storage requirement. So it sounds a little spicy. It's really not that spicy though. It's not that spicy. So we have this free trade agreement with Mexico and Canada. Do we have any free trade agreements with any other countries? Yes. So we actually have 20 other countries that have free trade agreements with the U.S. So we'll just go through a little rundown of each of them real quick just to tell y'all and just kind of like the main things about them. So we have a free trade agreement with Australia. It establishes committees on goods, agriculture, sanitary and phytosanitary matters, financial services, and then it also holds subcommittees on labor and environment. We also have a free trade agreement with Bahrain, it entered into force on January 11, 2006, and then this was aimed at making jobs for U.S. farmers and workers in sectors such as telecom, audiovisual, express delivery, distribution, healthcare, architecture, and engineering services. Then we're going to move on to Chile, which entered force on January 1, 2004, and as of January 1, 2015, all goods originating from the U.S. entered Chile duty-free. So the reason that there's this kind of disconnect is because a lot of countries, you need time to start really figuring this out. So you have to have years from when it is entered into force, from when it's fully duty-free. So essentially, this just gives countries a little bit of time to be able to figure out all that super fun stuff. So most of the goods entering were duty-free at that point, but there were some that still were not until January 1st, 2015. It aims at U.S. ranchers and farmers and processed foods. It also aims at Chilean services markets for U.S. banks, insurance companies, telecoms, securities firms, and express delivery. It also helps with labor and environment protections in Chile. Then we're going to move on to Colombia, entered into force on May 15, 2012, and then it was fully implemented. And when fully implemented, the ITC projects the U.S. GDP increase of $2.5 billion from this free trade agreement. So most tariffs will be phased out over 15 years, so by 20. 27, this will be completed. Um, but when it entered force, it was over 80% of US exports of consumer and industrial products to Colombia were duty free as of 2012. We also have a large group of countries that are lumped in together into the Central American Free Trade Agreement. Specifically, they mentioned the Dominican Republic within the title. So it's the CAFTA dash DR. So this is an agreement between Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and the Dominican Republic. So combined together, they are the 18th largest goods trading partner of the U.S. and exports of goods to CAFTA DR countries supported around 134,000 jobs in 2014. So it's a little important, so y'all might want to know about that. Then we're going to move on to Israel. It went into force in 1985. And since then, U.S. exports to Israel have risen by 456%. So just kind of mentally digest that. The top exports to Israel are mainly diamonds, machinery, aircraft, electrical machinery, and optical and medical equipment. We also have Jordan that we have a free trade agreement with. It entered into force on December 2001. It was fully implemented on January 1st, 2010. We, one of the big things about this is that we removed Jordan from our list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor in 2016 on the grounds that there had been significant reduction in the incidence of forced labor in Jordan's garment sector. Moving on, we have Korea entered into force on March 15th, 2012. Total trade was estimated at $168.6 billion in 2019 
with there being a deficit to the US of $7.6 billion. So essentially there was a deficit of $20.9 billion in goods trade between the US and South Korea, but we did have a surplus of $13.4 billion in services. So take with that what you will. The top exports included mineral fuels, machinery, electric machinery, optical and medical equipment, and the top imports from Korea included vehicles, machinery, electrical machinery, mineral fuels, and plastics. Then we're gonna move on to Morocco. We signed this agreement on June 15th, 2004, and it entered into force on January 1st, 2006. We have a free trade agreement with Oman, entered into force on January 1st, 2009, aimed at export opportunities for US goods and services provider with trade and investment liberalization for Oman, and then to also strengthen intellectual property rights protection and enforcement, since that is a big, that is a big deal for the US. Finally, we're going to move on to the last three. We have Panama, one of the fastest growing economies in Latin America. So this is a pretty great free trade agreement because this is just gonna bring in a lot of revenue to the US. We have one with Peru and this entered into force on February 1st, 2009. And this was the first free trade agreement that entered into force that incorporated groundbreaking provisions concerning the protection of the environment and labor rights. So that's pretty awesome to note about the Peru FTA. And then finally, we have Singapore. This was launched in November 16th, 2000. The agreement was concluded on January 5th, 2003. After the first year of this FTA, the trade surplus had tripled with Singapore when it reached $4.3 billion. And this was back in the early 2000s that we're seeing this. So it's pretty I will say, I will say the Singapore, just to give you Quick correction, it was concluded on January 15th, 2003, said January 5th. Just wanted oh, everyone sorry. to know because Hunter is on top of his research, okay? He knows. Yeah, sorry. I was trying to I was trying to get through, through those as no, quick as we can. No, I get it. You were giving the full-on timeline. I yes. would say a really great summary. The only thing I have to mention is the fact that I can't believe we changed NAFTA to USMCA because <laughs> NAFTA matched with CAFTA. It did. It did. I don't know. I mean, how could you break up that iconic rhyme? Honestly, it's a little sad, but I mean, we can see from all these different free trade agreements that there's so many different reasons for free trade, especially whether it is getting into untapped markets with like Chile of where we're allowing U.S. companies to go and become more of a presence in these other countries just because there is free trade now whether it is with Jordan, who you're aiming to go and have better labor laws with, where they are having significant reductions in the incidences of forced labor, or even if you're going and trading with Singapore, who you're now getting even more money from because you're tripling the trade surplus. So there's a lot of different reasons for free trade. Ultimately though, it really does lead to more democratization between countries your consumers are going to have more choices. Your consumers are going to be better off because it's going to be more of a competitive environment of who can produce the better product at a cheaper cost. There's lots of good reasons for free trade. I mean, there's also some bad ones of where, you know, you will see some sectors move towards other countries if it's very advantageous for them to be there and more profit. Um, what is it? More profit. Um, Profit. And where you can make more profits. So there's a couple of reasons. There's reasons for and reasons against free trade. But overall, it is a really positive process. And it does really lead to, you know, linking two countries together. So you have an even better future together where 
now you're more dependent on each other. And it really helps within a global system of not leading to war, which is honestly one of the best things you can have in a global system of not having war. Yeah, and I mean, you could say that. So listening to all those dates of the free trade agreements that we have, it looks like NAFTA really kind of set the tone for all those mm -hmm. to start. I mean, it was the first one started, enacted in 1994 and created a free trade zone for Canada, Mexico, and the US. And- Actually, the first one was with Israel. The first one was with Israel. But that was the second, that was the second one. And that was the big, that's the biggest one with the US though. You're right. You're absolutely right. We're going to ignore Israel for my, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. For argument's sake, Israel does not exist. Today. Yeah, for my, what I'm speaking of, Israel is just persona non grata because NAFTA and CAFTA. NAFTA and CAFTA, the only, the only free trade agreements that really matter at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess not anymore since NAFTA is now USMCA, but, you know, on January 1st, 2008, all the tariffs and quotas were eliminated on U.S. exports to Mexico and Canada under NAFTA, so still... I'd say we trade with them the most. I could be completely wrong. Um, we definitely trade with Mexico and Canada the most. They're our top trading partners. So they might not be the first, but they were the biggest. And now they're USMCA. And that was all information I got from the International Trade Administration. But uh, Hunter, you want to talk about what the International Trade Administration has to say about the USMCA? Yes. And also, side note, I will correct myself. In 2020, China was the top trading partner but then Mexico and Canada are quickly following. So Canada, China was the best, but China, our Canada and Mexico quickly, quickly follow. Um, China, our friend of you. <laughs> we're like, China, China and the United States have so much tension, but also we're number one trading partners. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, the International Trade Administration, they really wanted to highlight a couple of specific points that I found on there that were really noteworthy for the USMCA versus NAFTA. So essentially it establishes copyright harbors to deter online privacy, which that's always a great thing. And copyright, the term of life of authors are 70 plus years or publication plus 75 years. There is a 10 years provision of data protection for agricultural chemicals. So we do love that. One of the big things was that within agriculture, it includes cooperation on agricultural biotech to address all biotech to support 21st century innovations in agriculture. So this does include gene editing, and this is the first time that this is in a U.S. trade agreement. Canada also has to eliminate milk classes six and seven and will apply new export penalties. So I'm not going to lie, I couldn't really figure out what milk classes six and seven were, but we're really interesting milk. that, you know, that there's milk classes one through five as well. Um, we're whole milk lovers here. We don't, we don't drink yeah. milk. We do oat milk around here. So not 100% sure. But one of the good things that was really great to come out of USMCA, it reduced the paperwork on express shipments valued below 2,500 US dollars. So this was pretty great for like small businesses and small sellers, just because it really reduces that amount of paperwork. And it's not such a big thing to import and export things if they're small shipments like that, just because if it is a super tiny shipment, you don't want to be having to do 8 million little pieces of paperwork for it. It really helps streamline it. And that requires customs procedures to be consistent throughout all three countries at ports of entry. One of the big things with it was that advanced rulings 
So advance rulings are a written document received from the authority from a USMCA country where it provides binding information on specific USMCA questions you may have about future imports of goods into Canada, Mexico, and the US. So the big thing that changed with this was that rulings are issued as expeditiously as possible and in no case later than 120 days after obtaining all necessary information from the persons requesting an advance ruling. So that is pretty good just because it helps streamline a lot of things within international trade. Yeah, no, that's some amazing provisions that you mentioned. And you know, while you were talking about these, I was recounting all the countries that you just mentioned for free trade agreements. And you know what I realized? What? None of them are European. No, no, they are not. I want to know why we don't have any with European countries, because you know what? I'm tired of going to an Etsy shop and finding something that I absolutely love, like the whole small businesses thing, which was amazing, an amazing provision, got me thinking. And I'm like, you know, there's so many things I find on Etsy and I want to buy. And then I see that the sellers in the United Kingdom and the shipping is crazy. And I'm like, oh, I could never afford $100 shipping for this $10 item, $10 or 10 pound item, the conversions, you know. So why don't we have any free trade agreements with any of the European countries, considering I think we're pretty close with some of them? So essentially, it's just because there aren't a whole lot of economic barriers there already. Um, they're pretty relatively low between countries, and you don't usually have a lot of economic instability between the two, between the U.S. and European countries. Um, usually, it's always pretty solid. So I think that the U.S. just hasn't really seen it large need for it. Whereas in some of these other countries, it's been a little bit more combative. And these free trade agreements really help to go and push for certain concessions, I guess that you would say, whether it is enforcing more intellectual property rights, things like that, you know, we don't really have those issues with the EU. So I think that that's one of the main reasons why we're not seeing this. That's a really good point. I didn't really think of that. Yes. But it would be interesting to see. I wonder what they would call it. EU, EU, US, use, use. I, I, I have no idea what they'd even call that. <laughs> but I mean, that would definitely yeah. be pretty interesting to see. But who knows? I don't know. We might be seeing one with the UK come soon since they're not a part of the EU anymore, just because it would be so hard to, you know, have an EU and US agreement like that. But I think the UK and the US, we might be seeing an agreement like that. But Generally, free trade, it helps link countries together for more alliance or better to just communicate with each other. So because the more you communicate with another country and the more you trade with this other country, the better relationships you're going to have with them. So we can see this within the liberal theory that we talked about within our introduction and theory episode that the economic peace theory of where if you trade a whole bunch with a country, you're not going to want to go to war with them because then you're not going to have half the stuff that you need at that point. So that's also one of the big incentives for free trade is it stops wars, which is, you know, pretty much one of the easiest things you can do. Not only are you getting goods for cheaper and better quality, you're also stopping wars. So you should trade with one another so you don't go to war with each other. Nothing says don't go to war with me like free trade. You rely on me for your economy. <laughs> you will crumble without me. If you, if you destroy me, you will also crumble. So it's kind of just like a mutually assured destruction type of a thing, except it's not using nukes to do that, which we talked about mutually assured destruction in our nuclear episode. This one's a whole lot easier. It's just, you know, trade. So you will, you won't have half of what you need if you don't trade with me anymore. So, so the key is to make 
people dependent on each other, countries dependent on each other. Yes, the safest global system is a dependent on one another global system. That is the safest global system you can have. Ah, uh, unless everyone goes nuclear. All right. <laughs> Pretty much. But I mean, that's also another reason why in conflict zones, you're going to want to encourage free trade and you're going to want to encourage more trade with one another. Because also through trading, you really learn a country's interest and kind of what they're going out for. So if you're communicating with this country so much more and you're finding out their interests, you're going to be better able to adapt to that other country and like, hey, you really care about this? Okay, cool. I'm not going to do A, B, and C because you don't like that. And now I've learned that because we've been in constant communication. So it's one of those things of where trading, it really does help. So in conflict areas, it helps if you can trade with one another in a fair capacity because otherwise you're just going to create more conflict. But if you can trade in a fair capacity in these conflict areas, it'll also help to alleviate that. Will uh, free trade help get gas prices lower? Because I can really <laughs> use a free trade agreement with like the Middle East somewhere because you know what? Um, I just saw gas prices go up a bit and my bank account is not happy. You know, that's a little different um, because OPEC <laughs> essentially, you know, controls the market. So that's a little, that's a little different. Um, but <laughs> I think that it should apply. In terms of like where you're getting your dairy from? Absolutely. Free trade is, free trade I is great. I drink oat milk, Hunter. I don't need dairy. I need Listen, cheaper girl, gas. I'm lactose intolerant. I'm the same way. I'm with you. I don't drink dairy. However, it, that's where we're really benefiting from, as you can see, because a lot of a lot of the free trade that the U.S. pushes, it has to do with agriculture. It has to do with agriculture, it has to do with telecom, and it has to do with essentially like heavy machinery. Like that's what a lot of this has to do with. Unless you start going towards the service industry and then you're going to go towards telecom and you're going to go towards insurance. But for the most part, when you're talking goods, you're talking about agriculture is what the U.S. is basing these free trade agreements off of. All right, got it. Eat more cheese, use more tech. <laughs> Drive less. Got pretty, it. <laughs> pretty much. Um, that was actually one of the funny things that was within this new agreement. So within the USMCA, it also laid out that Mexico will not restrict market access of U.S. origin cheeses labeled with certain names. So like... So, I mean, the fact that that's in there branding? must insinuate that there was specific U.S. origin cheeses labeled with certain names that were being restricted from the Mexican cheese market. You gotta be kidding me. First of all, I hated that. I hated that. I'm gonna leave this in just so the audience can also just like, you know, be party to this. Um, Don't be a monster. I... You know what? I really do love, I, this is one of like my favorite parts of my week is coming here and recording this podcast. And you've just absolutely just tainted this week with this. That pun was Gouda. <laughs> okay. All you right. guys can't see it. Erica's losing it. Her face is red at this point. She is like keeled over her keyboard, just absolutely just ready to just start crying from laughing too hard. Um, Hunter, I'm here to witness Fed this. up with me. Fed up. Get it? Fed up, fed up. All right. Okay. All right. Everybody, I'll stop. let's take account how many puns, how many bad puns can Erica make with cheese? I hate it. I really hate it. I'm sorry. I, I just love cheese. Yeah, I know. But 
I guess you could say that Mexico wasn't really coughing up enough cheddar because they were restricting <laughs> the U.S. cheese market. So I'll join you in on that last one, but we'll give our audience a bit of a break. But <laughs> you know, in this in this whole cheese pun versus non-cheese pun, I think I'll just wave the white flag and be like the Swiss. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't stand it. I really can't. And you know what? With that, I want you all to know that that was not planned at all. That was pure <laughs> logic and wit that just came up with all of those cheese puns you just heard. We, we have our notes to go off of for the show. And, you know, we usually stick to them of, hey, here's an example. We'll use this. We need this fact and figure in there. None of that was in the notes. Erica is single-handedly destroying all of our mental sanities with these puns just right off the cuff. So I hope you all know that. But with that, I think that we're done talking about Richard. <laughs> and so we can let all of you go and not have to hear any more horrid puns. Go eat a grilled cheese and tomato soup. It's soup season. It is soup season. That actually sounds bomb right now, I'm not gonna lie. I would love it, a grilled it cheese. It always sounds <laughs> But, and now that my cheese will be better from USMCA, I will feel better about eating it. Not in the bathroom, but, you know, in morally. <laughs> <laughs> and ethically. Okay, okay, ethically. I'll call it. I'll call it. All right. So with that, we're going to end this week's podcast. We will see you guys next week for a, for, a, for a brand new episode that hopefully doesn't have as many puns in it, because I don't know if I can keep going at this point. Thanks so much, Hunter, for listening to me. My puns. And thank you so much to all the viewers for listening to what has just been five minutes of chaos at this point. So thank you all so much. We'll see you guys next week on a new episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hello, everybody. As a quick follow up to this week's episode, just to fact check ourselves, we wanted to include that milk class seven is comprised of skim milk. So if you were wondering just as much as we were what milk class seven was, it is skim milk. So with that, we'll see you guys later and tune in next week for a keep it brief and a keep it BRI. Thanks so much and have a good week.